0: Okay, so we will uh, get ourselves uh, going tonight. Um, we're going to go backwards, like a, a half a step or so in, in Davening, and then take ourselves uh, hopefully a little bit, uh, little bit uh, forward. Uh, not sure how much we'll get uh, to do. I uh, you know, seem to run out of steam somewhere between half an hour and 45 minutes, so hopefully we'll make the full 45 minutes. But uh, we began last week, or we talked about it a little bit last week. Let me just pull up the... Uh, you have a sitter there in front of you? On the screen? It says, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, excellent. So we began, or we touched upon, this section of Al-Nitil Asyadim, Asher and al Shama. Those are the three tefilahs, which theoretically are on the the screen in front of you there. And we talked about... Uh, the reason for washing, uh, the primary reason which we gave, related to the fact that uh, we're trying to create that mindset in which we can appreciate the fact that we are, are now preparing for a day, uh, a day of service to HaKadosh Baruch Same way that Kohanim would go ahead and uh, they would have to wash their hands and feet uh, before uh, doing the avodah, before serving in the base of Mikdosh. So we replicate that uh, behavior, and we go ahead and we wash as well as a means of bringing that, uh, that, uh, that, that idea to mind that uh, we're going to spend the day in service of Hashem. So regardless of what we do, in addition to the davening, which we're about to do, and hopefully some learning, which we do, but even the regular mundane activities, which we're going to do over the course of the day, all of that should be appreciated and seen through the lens of service of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Okay. Now, uh, there's another element to this idea of these brachas which we say, and the truth is is that there's a lot of debate about the exact sequence of these brachas, whether or not the bracha of Elokeinu Shama, the one down at the bottom of the page, follows immediately after Ashrei Yatsar, or Elokeinu Shama, according to some versions, appears after Berachas Torah. But we're going to go with the version that fortunately this sitter has here that you go from Asher Yatzar into Elochaine Shama. And this, uh, the, uh, the, uh, um, the um, juxtaposition. Thank you. The juxtaposition of these two brachas together is something which is going to be significant because this is going to be um, uh, conveying an important theme, which we're actually going to see is going to connect this with Bircha Satora itself. So we're going to see it as almost a seamless uh, sequence of brachas, which we're going to say, and all of them are really revolving around the, uh, the same thing. So the simple explanation uh, of these two brachas of Asher Yatzar. And you could see as I'm talking, so you could read, you know, this translation of this particular English translation. That's why I pulled it up as well. So this bracha of Asher Yatzar, which obviously has to do with our physical body, and then you have after that, you have and I'm sorry that it doesn't all fit on one page. Maybe I could go ahead and shrink it a little. No, it doesn't allow. Um, or I could, uh, and then the uh, the bracha of uh, uh, Elokeinu Shama. Which relates very much to the existence of the soul, the soul which HaKadosh Baruch Hu restores to me. So, in the the book, The World of Prayer, uh, I don't know if you will, really The World of Prayer by, yeah, by Dr. Ellie Monk. So, he has a very nice line translation from the original, but he says, before he does anything else, this is about uh, any person, any Jew. So, before doing anything else, he first renders thanks to his creator for the rejuvenation of his physical powers in Asher Yatsar, that's in this bracha. So we're thanking Hashem for a functioning body and his spiritual powers, that's the second part. And then we move on to that, that we're going to give thanks to the creator for our spiritual uh, powers. That is what's contained in this bracha of Alokai Neshama, which focuses very much on the uh, the Neshama. So that's the theme which is going on over here. And in order to highlight exactly how this works, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to share with you what it actually says in Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch, as everybody knows, is really going to be a source whose function and whose purpose is to share with us halacha, to tell us how to behave and how to respond to different situations in our lives. But every once in a while, especially in these sections, having to do with davening, so we end up, um, we end up with a, uh, an explanation of exactly what the intent of the prayers are. So here he's going to be commenting. It's going to be the Shulchan and the Ramah, and they're commenting on. I could go ahead and um, this last phrase in Hebrew, where we say atah Hashem aflil Their translation is "Who heals all flesh and performs wonders." And already from the time of the Rishonim, already from the uh, the early uh, the earliest commentators, so they 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 uh, uh, explore. What exactly are the wonders that we're referencing in this particular bracha? It says he performs wonders. What is that We just gave, it's not like we're talking about Kriya Yamsuf. It's not like we're talking about the 10 plagues. It's not like we're talking about creation. We just gave a whole bracha, again, reading through the, uh, the wording of the bracha, we gave a whole bracha thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the fact that our bodies function. So bodies function, we sort of take for granted. As far as how the uh, how these things how these things work, but the truth is is that there actually is a lot of wonder. But what is the mafli lasso? What exactly does the wording in- intend to imply or intend to convey to us? What does it want us to think about when we say these uh, these words? So Shochan says, and it's a <coughs> Aruch is based more on a medrash, but he says that. Uh, he says, "Umafli lasos." So this is in simon vav sif aleph, the end of the mechaber and sif aleph. What are the words "mafli lasos"? That's what's highlighted in front of you on the screen. What does that mean? So it's an interesting perspective. He says, Adam lenode mali ruach." So we all know that we survive on the air that we breathe. So we can't survive without air in our lungs and whatnot. So the medrash looks at it as a person as if they are similar to a balloon. So they're a balloon filled with air, and that air is absolutely necessary for, uh, for our existence. Now, if you take an actual balloon and you go ho- go ahead and you poke a small hole in that balloon, so we all know what's going to happen to the balloon once you go ahead and you poke even the smallest hole in the balloon. So all of the air exits the uh, the balloon, and the balloon completely deflates, and uh, then it's just uh, uh, what we call a mess rather than a balloon. It Goes quickly from a balloon into just uh, trash. The Adam, but mankind, so we're filled. We have all sorts of orifices all over the body, and yet the air remains inside of us so that we could live. So that is, he says, he says that's a wonder. Actually, uh, figure out exactly how that's going to work. And that's how he goes ahead and explains it. That's how Shulchan Aruch explains this idea of mafli lasos. But then the Ramah says, skipping part of the Shulchan Aruch, he says, there's another explanation that we could give to this idea. Shemafli lasos, what is the wonder which Hashem does in our existence? The fact that he guards the spirit of a person inside of him. Ruach over here doesn't refer to the oxygen which we breathe, the air which we breathe, but it's referring to the spiritual spirit, the neshama which we have inside of us. The kosher davar ruchni b'davar gashmi. And a Baruch Hu is able to merge together, to bind together something which is spiritual and something which is physical. And generally, physical and spiritual repel one another. They don't mix very well, sort of like oil and water. You may be able to shake it up a little bit, but eventually they're always going to go ahead and separate. And in the spiritual, in terms of laws of nature, in the interaction between the spiritual world and the physical world, they can't really interact. They can't really go together. Those who remember from the Gemara in Sukkah, we prove, the Gemara, it's an interesting idea, which we can't really highlight because Dafyomi has to go so quickly, but the source that the Gemara gives for the idea that a mechitza, that a partition, which separates two domains, that the partition has to be at least ten fachim high. So what's the source to that idea that a partition, any partition, whether by sukkah, whether by Shabbos, the partition always has to be ten fachim high? So the Gemara brings that proof, for those of you who remember, from the total height of the Aaron, together with the uh, with the covering on top of it. So the Gemara proves that from the ground until the top of the cover of the Arun is 10 Tvachim. So what does that have to do with a partition? How does that demonstrate anything about that halachic partition it has to be 10 tvachim high? So the idea is, is because a Baruch Hu comes down from heaven, he's coming from the heavens, he speaks to us from between the Kruvim. The Kruvim are standing atop the Arun, so the spiritual, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, coming down, he does not go below 10 Fahim. He always remains at least 10 Tfachim above the ground. And that tells us that 10, that ten Fahim height, demarcation, is the difference between the spiritual and the physical. And the Gabar asks many times, but didn't Moshe Rabbeinu go up to Shemayim? And we say, no, he didn't go up to Shemayim. Didn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu come down into earth, into the, into the physical domain? And the Gemara says, no, HaKarosh Baruch Hu never actually came down to the physical domain. They always hit one another, but they don't mix. And here, the Mafli Lassos is the very fact that HaKarosh Baruch Hu has created a circumstance with which we are going to be able to go ahead and we exist with the physical and the spiritual merging together into one unit and one inseparable unit. So that everything which we, uh, which we consume and whatnot everything which exists, all of that is going to be part of the same existence to such a degree that um, uh, the Bura says, uh, he adds to this, he says, he says, so he talks about nourishment. So just like the body requires nourishment, so too the soul requires nourishment. The neshama also requires nourishment. So how do we go? What's the process of nourishing the soul? So Mishabura says, because the neshama is going to derive sustenance from the spiritual characteristics and the spiritual nature of a food in the same way that the, the body is going to take physical nourishment from the food. So the same food which one consumes, assuming, of course, you're saying the proper, the food is kosher, and you're saying a pro- proper bracha. So if you do all of that, it's not only something which is going to nourish the physical body, but that bracha and that consumption has the capacity to nourish the spiritual uh, neshama that exists inside of us uh, uh, at, at the same time, and it's that power, that power of eating, which nourishes both body and soul, they become merged together, the, by the physical and spiritual, merged together specifically in this context of of eating. And this is the Pella. This is what we say at the end of the brach over here. We say mafli lasos is the, the allowance for something which doesn't really exist outside of this, anywhere else in the spiritual world, anywhere else in the physical world, that physical and spiritual are going to be able to blend it together, specifically in the human body. Together with the uh, the the uh, the, uh, the spiritual soul which exists inside of us, so that's the ma'afli so That's something which is a, a, an amazing wonder that they could coexist and they get, they derive sustenance and they give life to one another. So that is what we go ahead and we say with regards to that uh, to that bracha. Now, what I think is really interesting about this is this brings us to the next section. The next section. That things don't collapse. The next section that we go to after this, oh, so they, they, oh, so here we have. They put Sitzus in the middle over here, but after this we move on to Berchas So Berchas Torah, you could get, that one could give many, many shurim about the importance of Berchas Torah, starting over here, where the uh, the mouse is. So you have lasso B'Divrei Torah and all of that. But there's a very interesting thing about this also, without even going into the details of the words and the fact that there's three different brachas and what they correspond to without even getting into uh, to all of that. Again, that's something which is for uh, perhaps another series where we would go slowly through the actual wording and whatnot of the brachas. But over here, you have a fascinating idea <coughs> with regards to b'chasa Torah. And I want to read this to you from the, uh, from the Bach. So the Bach uh, is uh, the author of that is Rav Yol circus. Circus. Uh, in Rav Yol Circus, he wrote a commentary on the side of the tour. So the same way that the uh, Rav Yosef Karo wrote the Beis Yosef as a commentary to give background to which Gemaras the tour is referencing as he codifies halachas and what the different opinions are, which uh, which he may. Agree with the tour or may disagree with the tour, but he wrote uh, a, 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 an ongoing, a very thorough commentary to all of uh, all of halach L'maysa called the Bach. So in the Bach over here, so he goes ahead and he writes. Um, so he, he's asking a question. Chazal tell us. Actually, let me go, let me go back a little bit. Chazal tell us that um, that. Uh, that if uh, that the uh, Yisrael were punished very severely because they did not say a bracha before they went ahead and studied Torah, that's something which the Gemara declares, and it's something which the Gemara tells us that it was a mystery to Chazal at the time. They saw destruction, and they're trying to figure out what exactly was the transgression which Klal Yisrael committed, which warranted such a severe uh, response from Hakarish Baruch Hu. And the Gemara says that the reason why Hakadosh Baruch Hu responded so uh, so strongly and uh, and uh, they were punished so uh, so severely was shlo betorah because they didn't say a bracha before they went ahead and they studied torah that's what the Gemara says so the Bach asks the question which everybody is wondering and that is he says that this seemingly is a very minor transgression and if it's a minor transgression, so why is the Kashbraak responding? So, okay, it, it's not a good thing to go ahead and not say a bracha before you go ahead and study Torah. But it's not as if they weren't studying Torah. They were studying Torah, they just didn't say the bracha before studying Torah. So why does that warrant such a, a, a severe response? So answer explains the Bach. Veneer it would appear, the Kavanosu is Baruch, that Hashem's intention, the reason why he had such a strong response. Is ha'isa asukim The reason why Hashem Baruch Hu wants and desires, and I would I would almost say needs us to study Torah, but it's not really that he needs anything. But the reason why Torah study is such a fixture is Because in order that the soul which is inside of us should become strengthened with, with strength. Uh, in, the, in the body, and that's going to be derived specifically through the study of Torah. That the study of Torah is what's going to give additional strength to the Neshama. Then, the, the reason why this is why Hakash Baruch Hu gave us his true Torah, the Matana, as a gift that we should never forget. What? That we should never forget to study. In order to merge together both our bodies as well as our souls. Through, it should penetrate to the 250, 248 limbs and the 600... Can't even read my numbers straight as I'm going. And the 365 sinews of our existence. Then, how do we do that? The Ramach mitzvah saseh, that's going to be accomplished. And we're going to, by studying Torah, so we're going to infuse into our 248 limbs the Kedusha of the 248 positive mitzvahs of the Torah, the Shasa losaseh, and we're going to infuse into our 365 sinews the Kedusha of the 365 prohibitions which we observe, Shabbat Torah, which exists in the Torah. And therefore, and if people study Torah with that perspective in mind, that it's not just an intellectual pursuit, but it's something which gives chiyus, it's something which gives life and sustenance and, and spiritual energy to our existence, which then in turn infuses our physical existence, so in each individual studies Torah becomes a chariot and becomes a sanctuary for the divine presence to be able to, uh, to reside. So this is what happens when we go ahead and we, uh, we study Torah. And this sequence of brachas from Asher yatzar, our physical body, to Elokay Neshama, which is the spiritual side of our body, and the way that they fuse together is Birchas Torah. That's why we go from there into Birchas Torah, because it's going to be the study of Torah, which is what's going to allow these things to be able to merge together, be able to blend together into that existence. And in doing so, that's ultimately, uh, ultimately, like we know, we're a little ahead of our, we'd be a little ahead of ourselves in terms of Parsha. But when we say Veshachanti Besochem, who gives us the command to build a Mishkan. And it says, I will dwell in, seemingly it should say, in its midst, in the midst of the Mishkan, but rather it says, that the Divine Presence has the potential to reside inside of each individual. And that's going to happen based on all of what what we're discussing tonight. That's going to happen when a person connects with the Torah, And connecting with the Torah is what's going to allow the spiritual and the physical to be able to merge together into this inseparable unit. And that is the Mafli Lassos. That's the great wonder of existence, which on top of everything else, the fact that our bodies uh, function, but above and beyond all of that. So that is something which is is a, a wonder to behold. And it's something which is also very important to be mindful of at the outset of the day. And that's why we go ahead and we highlight that at the outset of the day. And for those who like, uh, it's not quite a pun, but it's a gematria. So sometimes people who are punny like uh, gematrias too. Uh, We say, uh, at the beginning of Asher Yatsar, Stu, uh, (laughs) and and Bob also is on. So at the beginning of Asher Yatsar, so you have, it says, (laughs) Asher Yatsar Esadam Chachma, that Kishboru went ahead and formed man with wisdom. So that word, b'chachma, if you take away the prefix, the base, you just have chachma, and you spell out each letter. So the letter ches is spelled ches-yud-saf, so that's going to be 418. The next letter, the, uh, the chaf, is spelled chaf fe. that's another 100. Mem is spelled mem-mem, that's another 80. And then hey, if you spell it hey-yud, if you add all of that up together, that's going to be 613. So the Chachma that Karsh Baruch Hu used, with which that he's going to create mankind, it took a great amount of Chachma, because now we see that is, is, is the Chachma, you can understand the Chachma on one level, and you can speak to any doctor about that, but that's going to be on one level, where the functioning of the body, the way all the different systems coexist with one another, and hopefully they get along with one another, so that somebody is healthy, that's an incredible amount of Chachma in and of itself. But on top of that, Karsh Baruch Hu had to create the body with the Chachma, for the, all of those physical organs and limbs to have a spiritual component to them as well, because you need the physical and the spiritual to be able to be, come together. So the Chachma is like, it's like wisdom to the power of two, or maybe even more than that, because you have to have the Chachma on the physical side, you have, the, you have to have the Chachma on the spiritual side, and then you have to have the Chachma, which allows them to be able to merge together, and that's something which is an incredibly important uh, uh, idea which as we said that's the, the, the essence of our existence is Akash Baruch Hu didn't create creatures which are going to be purely spiritual there are creatures which are purely spiritual but we call them angels those aren't humans so our existence as humans is going to be this combination of physical and spiritual together and all of that is being highlighted at the very beginning of the day in these sequence of brahas, which I think is something which is very important to, uh, to keep in mind Okay, now with that, uh, we will go ahead and we will transition. No, um, oh, sorry, towards the end. So here, at the end of a luchain shama, so we say oh, we'll just pick it up from here. So we say Kozman Shah eshma vikir vikirbi, that the uh, the for the duration of time that the godly soul is within me. So I'm going to give thanks to you, Hashem, my God. You are the master of all action. And you are the also, you are the master. You see, they translated that you are the Lord of all creatures, master of all souls. But the main word that I want to focus on is the word Adon. Because I see the word Adon over here as a segue into what's going to follow after this, perhaps. Let me get past Talis and fillin. Oh, look at that. Adon alam. So here we go from the Adom kol ha-masim, so we then have the next thing that we begin, the next part, again, putting aside Talis and fillin, because that's a whole debate when you would uh, when you would be saying the brach on Talis and fillin. But from here, one of the things which we say at the beginning, for some people, this really marks the beginning of uh, actual prayer rather than uh, the, uh, the preparatory uh, uh, sections, although here they put the preparatory prayers are still here, but here you have the, uh, the Adon Olam. So Adon is something which is uh, so one element of Adon Olam, as we said, that we, we refer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the master of the world. Now this is something which is significant. The, uh, the Otsar Hatfilos goes ahead and he points this, uh, this out out over here. So first of all, uh, this uh, this uh, tefillah of Adon So we're not exactly sure who wrote it. Its uh, its authorship is something which is uh, somewhat of a of a mystery. Uh, who exactly uh, wrote it? But one thing is clear: is that what we are trying to do is, um, yeah. So in the uh, the sitter called Otsar Tfilos. So, which uh, you have on uh, the screen over here. So he writes over there that uh, that uh, there's many commentaries over here, but he writes in the Eitz Yosef. He says mm-hmm. The fact that Chazal went ahead and wanted to start prayer, the morning prayer, specifically with the phrase Adon Olam, who kadeh la Hazkir Shmos so right off the bat, what we're trying to do is we're trying to draw on the merit of Avramavinu. Avinu. Now that's not a coincidence because Avram Avinu, if you that, according to that Gemara in in Brachos, so Avram Avinu was the one who inaugurated or introduced Tfilah Shachris. So since he was the one who introduced Shachris, it makes a lot of sense that we would go ahead and we would begin the prayer of Avramavinu Avinu with something related to Avram. So how does Avram Avinu relate to the word Adon? So he says, and this is like the statement that Chazal say, from the time that Baruch Hu created the world. So if Avram Avinu was born in 1948 from creation, so from the time of creation until 1948, and it may have been a couple of years after that until Avram Avinu finally did this, but it, the Gemara says, Nobody ever referred to as the master. Nobody ever used that term, Adon. Ad Shaba Ad Avram. Until Avram Avinu came along, and he says, says, We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Shul, where, where Avram says to uh, to Hashem, How do I know that I'm actually going to inherit the land? So there is the first time that Kosh Baruch Hu is going to go ahead and uh, he uses that, that phrase. And therefore it makes sense that at the very beginning of Davening, so we're gonna go at the beginning of Davening in the prayer specifically related to, uh, that, was, uh, that was introduced by Avraham Avinu, was created by Avraham Avinu, we'll go ahead and we'll use the reference that he had for God, which he introduced to the world, which nobody else had used un- uh, until that point. So that's one important element of the uh, of the Adadolam. Then um, another important element is, make sure I get the right page? So in a, uh, in a in a different work, so he talks about, again, who exactly wrote it? So he uh, he brings down from the the mata Moshe, which we uh, uh, we haven't talked about uh, this time through on the Siddur, but one of the earlier commentators on the Siddur, so he writes in the name of um, uh, that, uh, some of the Rishonim and some of the Gonim in the name of Rav Haigon in Rav Shri Ragon. So this, that, uh, that demonstrates how ancient this prayer is. And this is something which is in that era immediately after the Gemara was finished. So after the Gemara was finished, there was that period of the Gonim, again, about the 400 years of the period of the, of the Goonim. So during that time, they already had the Adon Olam prayer, which, was, which had been composed he brings down that in some siddurim, they say that it was actually composed by Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was the Tana who was around at the time of the Khurban, the time of the destruction of the second base of Amikdosh. So you're going back pretty far is, in terms of Jewish history. But they say over there, that if somebody has good uh, concentration, and a good understanding of what they say, right? We, but we grow up thinking "Adon Olam" is the kids' prayer. It's the end of davening on 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 Shabbos, and the kids go up there and they sing "Adon Olam," and it's really cute, and everybody's you know listening to that. And sometimes you have an older kid who could come up, use a good uh, you know cutesy song that fits into the uh, to the words of "Adon Olam," which is also something which uh, which amuses us, but we forget that this is a very ancient prayer. And they, we say about this prayer, this is what the Geonim say about this prayer. Uh, uh, somebody has good kavana, good concentration, and thinks about what they're saying when they read Adon Olam, So that's going to assure that the rest of the tefilas which you say, all of Birchaz and Hashachar, all of Tzuket Izimran, Kriyashma, and Shmon and Tachnun, and all the stuff which follows after that, all of that will be listened to because you started off by framing who Hakadosh Baruch Hu is at the very outset. The Ain, I should actually put a, pull it back up. Let me give you that back again, so you can see again. I wish I could give you uh, the, the the whole thing at uh, at once, um, but okay. Uh, but he says that the Ain Satan Makatrich and the Satan is not going to be able to go ahead and. Uh, point any fingers at anybody who's davening and saying, Hashem, you're going to listen to this person? Let me tell you what Avera's, this person did the past couple of days. You're going to listen to that person's person? Let me tell you what I saw that uh, that person doing the, uh, the just last week. There's no reason you should listen to that. So these gaonim say that somebody who has good kavana, when they say Adon Olam, so that's going to shield you from the satan being able to be makatric, being able to point accusatory fingers towards you and your tfilas that they should not be listened. So this is also something which obviously is an incredibly important thing to be able to say and to be able to think about at the outset of davening, because this is now going to set you up for success in terms in terms of the rest of prayers which are, uh, which are going to be said. So it also is something which is... Uh, which is incredibly, uh, which is incredibly important, and another thing which I wanted you uh, wanted you to uh, to be aware of, as far as this is concerned, is I just have to find it here. Yeah. So uh, another uh, safer which I have over here. So he writes from the Elia So The Elia is a commentator on the Levush. Um, it's um, a good. Th- three, if not 400 years ago, uh, running commentary on uh, on Haim. So he writes, it's the band of Kuflam and base, So he's actually talking about not the beginning of davening. He's talking about the end of davening. But he has a beautiful idea, because if you think about it, again, we're, we're not so accustomed to this because we only say Adon Olam, at least together. We only say it on Shabbos after Musa. But when you think about that phenomena, that what happens is Adon Olam appears at the beginning of davening. And so one of the first things which we say, and then we conclude the morning services in shul, at least on Shabbos, with that very same Adon Olam. So what's the idea that the same prayer that we begin with, or the same declaration about HaKadosh Baruch Hu's existence that we begin with, is the same prayer that we end with? So the El Yerabba writes very beautifully. He says, the Akhar Ha-tfila, After davening, that's why it's in Kuflam base, because that's the end of davening, Gamken Omrim Adon Olam. We also say Adon Olam at that time. Why? For the very reason that since we begin with Adon Olam, we also want to conclude with Adon Alam. And this really could be done during the week as well. But we're more familiar with it on Shabbos. But the idea is why? He says it's the exact same thing that we do on Simchas Torah or those who would, uh, would uh, this year, we're making so many siyumim in Dafiomi. so we know that generally what happens if you attend a seum, not one which we do in Shir, because we just have to finish the daf and then we're done, but if you attend a public seum of any mesechta, of certainly in, in, in the dafiyomi context, as soon as they end one mesechta, they may sing and dance a little bit, but then they immediately start the next one. So we're never at that point where we say that we're done. So we, when we finish Torah, when we finish on Simchas Torah, we don't say, hooray, we're done with the Torah now, and we'll see you next Shabbos. And we have a gap in terms of our kriya between Zosabracha and Bracious. What we do is we immediately we do Hagba, we do Galila on HaBracha, and then we open up safer Bracious, and we start again from the beginning because there's never an end to what we're doing. So the same thing he says is like Simchas Torah Shamaskulim Brașus, why yekatrig hasatim. Because we don't want anybody to go ahead and sit back and relax and say, okay, I finished Shas, I finished Masechus Rosh Hashanah, I can now relax for a little bit, and I could uh, take off a couple of days, and I don't have to go ahead and do any Torah study or anything like that, in the event that we were to sit back and we were to relax like that. So then once again, the sultan comes in and says, aha, look, God, they're, uh, they're taking off a couple of days, there's a little uh, extra vacation that they're uh, uh, unpaid time, uh, time off that they are taking. And this is something which is bad. So to make sure that that never happens, we go from one Masechta to the next. To make sure that doesn't happen, we go from V'zos Bracha to Bracious. And to make sure that doesn't happen, the El says we start with Adon Olam and we end with Adon Olam. We go back to the beginning so that we're at the beginning of davening again. So we're always in the middle of davening. We're never done with davening. That's the, uh, the idea. Which the uh, which the Eliyahu says regarding this prayer of uh, of Adon Olam, the importance and the in some of the uh, the significance of that. <coughs> so that is as far as uh, Adon Olam. Then after Adon Olam, in mo- now in the, obviously the Adon Olam prayer, all of it revolves around the existence of God. It's a complete description of God's uh, existence. Um, those who like to. Uh, um, uh, who like to uh, uh, the, the philosoph- uh, philosophical uh, perspective of things. So this initial phrase is something which has captured the attention of uh, all of the commentators from probably since the uh, the prayer was originally composed by whoever it was. But we say, Adonai, am the master of the world, Asher Malach, who is the king. So Chazal tell us, we know this to be true, but Chazal frame, frame it uh, and phrase it very nicely. They say that, uh, Ein melech below am. There's no such thing as a king without a nation. But otherwise, everybody, I mean, maybe you have, but everybody could go ahead and name, name themselves king or queen, whatever they're going to be. But you could name yourself. I think there's some uh, Meshuggah out west somewhere who's the supreme ruler of some whatever. He's declared himself to be an independent nation in some little uh, uh, hick town that uh, that he lives in. He has his own passport. He uh, he made his own currency or whatever. And it's just a tourist thing that uh, that happens. But he declared himself to be the uh, uh, his own ruler of his nation, but he has no nation. So there's this idea that Ain so here in this phrase we say Adonalam, the master of the world, Asher who is the king. The term called Yitzir Nifra before anything was created. So, how can you be the king of nothing? So, everybody wonders exactly what is the, the, the meaning of that is. Obviously, it's good to be a could do whatever he wants, but the fact that he could have the title. Of a king, even before anything has come into existence is something as I said has uh, captured the attention of philosophers for uh, for a long time It's one of these things that they they talk about, but here it's all descriptions of god's existence and if you're ever wondering about details related to god 's existence, so you would go ahead and you would look at uh, you would look at Adonale. and then after that we have Yigdal Yigdal appears in the Siddur at the at, at this point and Regarding Yigdal as well, so if you uh, if you look around, um, so Yigdal also is. We know. Uh, I hope everybody knows that it is based on. Maybe when they went ahead put it there. Yeah, they they give it to. A, they they put a name on it, but the main thing is, and we know for sure, it's based on Mamadi's thirteen principles of Judaism. So that was the last series which we did on Tuesday nights so at Yud Gimeli Karim. So Yigdal is 13 stanzas. That's why you always have to repeat that last one because you want to make it, uh, if it's going to be every other one in the song, so you need to have a multiple of, it uh, has to be an even uh, number. So 13 doesn't work out. So that's why we say uh, the last one uh, uh, twice, just to get us to the number 14, which is easier. So here they, they assigned it to a certain author, but it's not exactly uh, clear who that is. One of them is this uh, Daniil ben Another one may be Rabbi Chilbar Baruch. It's a, it's a debate who exactly composes, but obviously it was after the time of the Rambam. Actually, some people say it was the Rambam. But it was, uh, it was after the time of the, uh, the Rambam. And this is like a shortened poetic version of the 13 principles of faith. That's what, the, uh, that's what Yigdal is, is all about. And there's a the machlokus whether it should actually be part of the prayer book or not. The Verhetiv brings down from the Arizal, that the Arizal did not say Yigdal, he was not of the opinion that that's something which is going to be part of the regular uh, prayer. But he uh, brings down that from the shla also a great, uh, a, a great Kabbalist. The wording is That he praised this version of Yigdal as being authoritative and a good review of uh, of the thirteen principles. And the Seder Hayom, the Seder Hayom, we quoted last week with regards to the origin of uh, of modani so the Seder ayom also was a fan of uh, of of reading it and it's something which again some people uh, some people do some people uh, don't some people go ahead and they would say it specifically on Shabbos, but they wouldn't say it during the week all sorts of different practices as far as this is concerned but in a, uh, I, I generally don't have time to say it, so I can't say that the uh, advocate, I shouldn't uh, you know, push you to go ahead and say it, but it is one of those things in terms of, if we're talking about what's happening, the first part of davening in the morning, from the time that we wake up, until we get to Birch HaSashach, and hopefully next week we'll, uh, we'll begin with Birch shachar but when we go ahead and we're trying to uh, uh, structure the proper frame of mind, the proper mindset and the proper, meditation that we want to have as we are going to enter into, ultimately, as we get to our destination of that conversation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So going through the 13 principles of faith is also something which is going to give us a frame of reference as far as what exactly we're trying to accomplish and who we are speaking to. And hopefully those of you who were present, who participated in this series on the 13 principles, so hopefully you'll remember, if you didn't participate or you forgot, so you could find them online and they are uh, they're there for for you to review. But if you remember, of the thirteen principle, thirteen principles, we broke it down into three different sections. You had the first five, the middle four, and the last four. And the way they broke down was the first five have to do with the existence of God, all descriptions of who God is and what he's uh, what he is about. The middle four have to do with the authenticity of Torah. As we said, every religion needs instructions from the creator, from the supreme being, from the divine being, as far as what is considered to be proper conduct and what's considered to be improper conduct. That's going to be the middle four that have to do with uh, the existence of prophecy, Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy, the authenticity of Torah, the fact that Torah is never going to change. And then the last ones all revolve around schar and onesh, all revolve around reward and punishment. Because every religion, again, needs the reward for those who follow the word of the divine being, and they need a punishment for those who disregard or violate the words of the uh, divine being. And that's going to be, that's the basic structure of the 13 principles. And that's the basic structure of Yigdal, which is also, as I said, it was put into the, into the, into the Siddur uh, by those who do say it, because this is also going to give us a good frame of reference. It reminds us who exactly God is that we're talking to. One of the principles has to do with the efficacy of prayer, but it reminds us who, that's the last of the five, if I remember correctly, but it, it reminds us who exactly God is, how we know that the, the relationship that we have with God, which is going to be prophecy and our possession of Torah, the Torah which we're going to be able to study, and then the reward and punishment which is going to follow from that. So that's an important thing also which uh, to keep in mind and with that, once we finish uh, Yindao, so this section is really so. You see, after that, we go into Berchas Hashachar. So, Emissa Hashem at the uh, the same time, seven o'clock next week. Even though we will have changed the uh, the clocks, so we will uh, begin with uh, with Berchas and find out what the uh, the sequence and what all of that is uh, is about. Thank you, Rabbi. And that's what I got for you tonight.